0: I have been so nervous in speaking to you today. I believe I know why. I believe that we're living in some times of uncertainty. We have some clowns that are talking about the end of the world is coming. We are being mocked in the media. We're being ridiculed. We need to come to a place in our life where I believe it's it, it, we're coming at a critical juncture in our life as believers, as leaders of our church and community. I believe there has to be a shake-up and a cleansing. I believe this is why there's a, t- there's, a, there's a very tense and intensity in my heart. Not as Pancho, but as a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That I can be a conduit to you, that I can convey something to you to encourage you, to strengthen you, to enlighten you, that maybe you can have the burdens lifted. I don't know what it is. But I I do know that, that this is a very critical time. I pray that each and every one of us will take heed to what is happening this week. I pray that you and I would examine our hearts and to see what's really inside of us. What is our motive? What is our hope? What is keeping you from doing what you know you do best? And I pray as we ask God to bless our time, let us pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, as my heart palpitates so fast and so hard, Lord, it's not that I have fear, but I have reverence for your word. Use me, Father, as a conduit of your grace. Use me, Father as an outlet of what you want to share to your people, your children. Alleviates us, energizes us, cleanse us from all filth, hygienicize our conscience, Lord, through the blood of Jesus. We pray, Father, that we may have an encounter with you tonight and all this week. Lord, may we walk away from this place, Lord, with our hearts filled with hope and contentment and peace and joy. And goodness and mercy. The Lord, that we can go back, refresh. Lord, that we will have clean consciences and clean hearts that we can serve without any fear. May you minister to us as we're gathered here together, collectively thanking you for taking us to the altar through worship. May you speak to us now, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Would you turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Would you believe chapter 1? 1 First Corinthians chapter 1. I entitle this message, The Continual Process for Moral Defilement. The Continual Process of Moral Defilement. Now, I'm speaking to men who I know already know enough about Corinthians. And you know enough to turn off your phones, too. We go to conferences, we turn off our phones, man. We come, and I believe you know that the Corinthians, they they, they were all messed up. They were divisive, they were carnal, they were immature. They were just messed, they were a wreck. Paul knew that. Paul knew from the get-go, you see, he got the word. That the Corinthian church was divisive, they were immature, they were carnal, they were all messed up. But Paul did not start by condemning these people. He begins by exalting their posture as a Christian. And that's what I aim to do. To exalt the posture that you have as a believer. God elected you, God chose you. As dysfunctional and as perforated as you are, God chose you. He's not done with you yet. God took you out from the gutter. I don't know where he took you from. And he cleaned you up and he made you into a vessel to go and proclaim what God has done to you and for you. That's as easy as that. It's not complicated. It is our flesh that gets in the way. It's our cardinality that gets in the way. And so here he tells the Corinthians their posture in verse 4 of chapter 1 of 1 Corinthians. He said... I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given to you by Christ Jesus. Number one, they got the grace of God. Five, that you were enriched in everything by him. That's second benefit. In all utterance, third, and all knowledge, fourth, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed to you, so that you come short in no gift, five eagerly waiting six for the revelation of our lord jesus christ now notice verse eight who will also confirm you to the what to the end that you may be what blameless in the day of our lord jesus christ god is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son jesus christ our lord Notice the benefits that God already has for the Corinthians. Now, you know, and I know, we all know, we, we, if we're leaders, we know that, that Paul the Apostle is going to now rebuke them, admonish them because of their error. Now, he's writing to believers now. When I first came to know the Lord, I got saved. Salvation. Now, according to Duffield and Van Cleeg's Foundation of Pentecostal Theology, there there are three provisions for salvation number one the death of the lord jesus christ number two the resurrection of the lord jesus christ and three the ascension and the exaltation of jesus christ without those three provisions there's no salvation amen so we need those provisions now within those three elements or provisions we have nine applications i want to take one of those applications in reference To what I'm trying to share with you this evening. And that is the continued process of the moral purging from moral defilement. Now we are told here in chapter 8. That it is God who is going to confirm you and present you blameless. You find that in Jude verse 24. The same thing. That God is going to present you and I blameless. And yet when we get to 1 Corinthians chapter 7 verse 1. Paul says to the to to the reader you cleanse yourself from all filthiness of the flesh and of the spirit oh wait a minute look and then who is the agent of what's going to make me blameless is it my own effort or is it god who's going to present me they're both they're both and so in the provisions or the application of the provisions you have election You have repentance, you have faith, you have justification, you have regeneration, you've been adopted or adoption, and then sanctification, assurance, and the security of the believer. You have the application of that provision. You see, you need to be justified before you get sanctified. At one point, you said in your life, Jesus, I'm a sinner. I receive you as my Lord and Savior. The most beautiful words... Not guilty. Amen. Amen. And I go like this. Amen. What wonderful feeling it is not to be condemned. What an exciting emotional outlet to know that my guilt that was suffocating my conscience for years. is no longer paralyzing me. It set me free. I still got people like my mother who says, I know you. I know mom. I still have police officers who said, I knew you. They're retired now, praise the Lord. <laughs> the accusations will always be there because I know who I is. But I also know who I am in Jesus Christ. You see, I first, I didn't realize about election, repentance, I didn't know all that. All I knew is that when the word of God came forth in 1975, something hit me. Boop. And you know that feeling of conviction. And then there was a repentance. And then you admitted your guilt and you said, Yes, I need a savior. You didn't know all these theology words. You didn't know. All you know is you went in, you got zapped, and that was it. You were not a theologian. You absolutely knew nothing. But, you know, we have election, we have repentance, we have faith, we have justification, and then we have what we call the regeneration, the born again experience. You've been adopted, sanctified, you've been assured, and then you have the the security of the believer. So I want to take one aspect of that application, and that is sanctification. Sanctification has a primary and a secondary meaning. The first one is being set apart from the Lord. It's called hagiasmo. That means that the moment you you become a Christian, it is God that uses that separation... As God separates you and you begin a relationship with God in which man enter by faith in Christ, the separation of the believer from evil things and evil ways. Number one. The second meaning is a continual cleansing or the continual process. It never ends. It never ends. Being in the Lord already like 37 years. Being in ministry for 29 years, being a senior pastor for 20 years. I hope and I pray that one day I can come, oh Lord Jesus, I am, I am so holy and righteous. There is absolutely no blemish in my life. I can't say that to you right now. It seems like the older I get, the more blemishes become more magnified in my life. Someone told me, Pastor, why do I, every time I get closer to God, do I see my heart darkened? Because every time you get closer to the illumination of light, you see your sin. And the closer you get to the light, you'll see who you really are. And the closer you get to the magnificent glory and splendor of the holiness of God, you'll realize that you can say in your heart, Oh God, I'm a man of uncircumcised lips. You want to get closer to God? You're going to see your filth. And we'll see that filth. See, the Bible that never speaks, there's going to be a com- complete sanctification. We will never see that in this lifetime. The Bible says that he's going to present us blameless in the day of Christ. John says it straight up. If you say you have no sin, you're a, a what? A liar. Complete sanctification will happen when we are graduating from these bodies or until Christ returns for sure. That's when we get complete sanctification. Now turn with me to First Corinthians chapter seven, verse, verse one. Would you believe Second Corinthians? Chapter one chapter seven. I'm just testing you, man. Unlike justification, which is a, a, a one time happening, sanctification is a progress, progressive process. Sanctification is a process. When you receive the Lord Jesus Christ, you were justified instantaneously, not guilty, a one time event. Whereas sanctification, Lord Jesus, it begins. There was a song we used to sing Make Me Like You. Lord, Make Me Like You. Do you know what we're singing? Make me like you. In other words, are you willing to partake of the, of the cup of the baptism that I have? Yes, Lord. Oh, Lord Jesus. Sanctification process, though it though sounds, sounds theologically romantic, it is very painful, my friends. That denying of the flesh is very painful because we, by nature, we are attracted to the flesh. But the flesh can also... Become a foe. Turn around you and backstab you. The flesh can never, can never be suppressed by your will. The flesh can never be dominated by your will. The flesh has to be dominated, not by you, by saying, I'm going to be a better pastor tomorrow. I'm going to be a better leader tomorrow. That ain't going to happen. It's like AA. In AA, I'm an alcoholic, man. I'm an alcoholic. I haven't drunk in 37 years, but I'm an alcoholic. Any alcoholics here? You understand what I'm saying? The first thing you got to say here, you got to be truth. You say, my name is Pancho and I'm a... I'm an alcoholic. Straight up, the truth. An admission, because if you do not come to an admission, an acknowledgement of what is bringing you down, you will never come to a place of purity. How can you how can you justify and how can anyone say, I'm gonna be holier when you know there's some impediment, some kind of blemish, some dark spot in your life that's keeping you from following Jesus Christ completely, unequivocal, that you're pursuing God and all your holiness and all your righteousness. Do you know that when you have no sin in your life when you know in your heart and your conscience clean, you know how happy you can be? When there's no condemnation, this is Paul. Paul told Timothy, make sure you have a pure conscience and good faith. Because without these two elements, we cannot fight the good fight. We must have a cleansing. We must come to a place where you acknowledge, what is the little thing, the little trivial things that you're after? Those things that you do, those things that you see, and all of a sudden the result of that you feel shameful. You feel so Horrible, and you feel so depleted because you realize that you failed again. What is it that you're trifling with? What is it? May I be honest with you? I have spoken at conferences, and I spoke at the senior pastor conference the first and last time. I share a dream, and it was a real dream, and I thank God. I'm not a dreamer, man. I, I used to take LSD. I don't want no more dreams. But I had a vivid dream that I had committed adultery. And I had to face my congregation. I had to face my wife, my children, my staff, and the whole church. It was miserable. And then I realized I woke up, and it was just a nightmare. And I woke up, and I saw my wife there at 3.30 in the morning. I woke her up, and I said, baby, I love you. She goes, oh, please, it's 3.30 in the morning. Please. <laughs> I said, no, honey, I love you. I love you with all my heart. I love you with all my soul. You're the best thing that ever happened to me. And then she woke up. She goes, you all right? No, I ain't all right. I am now. And I share that. I'm telling you this because, you see, afterwards, usually we have our conferences in the West Coast in June. Sometime in July, August, September, October. You see, the Bible says that your sin will find you out. Come around July, August, September, people like you and I sitting in those chairs were listening to that message. But they were still trifling with it. The power of the flesh, the power, of the appetite of the Lord nature. When they got caught in July or August... After the confession, they were experiencing the dream that I had. For me, it was just a dream. For them, it was a horrible reality. They asked, how long have you been messing around? And they go, oh, you were there upon your study. Nothing, nothing did anything to you? You see, sin empowered by the appetite of the flesh, with the empowerment of the enemy trying to seduce you and trying to eliminate you. Man, we're not here. And I hope today that I can stir you up, that I can shake you up as a brother in Christ, that if you're doing anything that is not becoming you as a leader of Jesus Christ, that you either resign or repent. Simple it because if not you're going to bring your family down you're going to give a black eye to the Lord Jesus Christ and what we stand for we must come to a place where it says here in verse one of chapter seven of second Corinthians therefore having these promises meaning in chapter six and five Having these promises, my beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting perfecting holiness in the fear of God. So we have the first primary meaning of sanctification, separation from God. But now we come to the continual cleansing, the secondary meaning, which is a continual process. You see, friends, holy. Moral character does not come automatic. Holy moral conduct or transformation is it takes a process. It cannot be imputed to you, you cannot inherit it. Each and every one of us have to individually possess this moral character little by little. Time with time in obedience to the Word of God and the following of the example of the Lord Jesus Christ and the empowerment of the agent of sanctification, and that is the Holy Spirit being full of the Holy Spirit. In sanctification, the one who has been born again deliberately gives up his right to himself, to the Lord Jesus Christ, and identifies himself entirely with God's ministry to others. When Paul addresses the letter, he will always say, Paul, a slave of the Lord Jesus Christ. But I like the other one. I'm a prisoner of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if you've never been busted, you you really don't understand that meaning. I have. First thing they say, you're under arrest. And the moment you're under arrest, you have no rights. Your hands are tied behind your back, and now you are under the authority of the police. You have no say so. You shut up and get back in the car. Now you have no rights, at least not now. You're going to prison first, you're going to jail. Paul the apostle is saying the same thing. I am captured by the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm a prisoner to him. I have rights, but my rights have now been subjugated by the Lord Jesus Christ. He is my Lord. He is my Savior. The sanctification process, as Paul is speaking about here, is a secondary meaning of sanctification. You see, the first one is positional. The other one, second one, is practical. This is the one that I'm referring to you tonight. The practicality. We know we're sanctified, amen? We're sanctified. But now it is the process of sanctification which becomes the practical one or the experiential one, the one we experience in the everyday life of the arena of life. You see, sanctification process, uh, there are certain methods. The cross is a symbol of self-denial. We preach Jesus Christ and Him crucified. The cross is foolishness to the world, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. So the cross becomes a symbol of death. But we also go through life. If you're over 40, 50 years old, you know what I'm talking about. If you have teenagers in the name of Jesus, you know what I'm talking about. And so the process of sanctification, Paul said in in 1 Thessalonians 5:23. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit, your soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, Paul recognized that Thessalonian Christians were sanctified in the holiness of God. But now they needed that this imputed holiness should now progressively become practical in their lives. Did you know that this week is also another increment of that process in your personal life? This, being here today, being here yesterday, today and tomorrow and Wednesday, it is part of that process that God will use for him to continue that process of practical sanctification. There's some of you who are going to be aroused by what is spoken today. What is spoken tomorrow? What is spoken on Wednesday? By Wednesday, we should come to a conclusion that either God is going to cleanse us from all filth and unrighteousness, but there has to be one element well, I will I share tomorrow morning. You need to have acknowledgement. If without acknowledgement of any trifle, anything that's bringing you down, I don't want to go to a glossary or litany of what the troubles are. You know what they are. I don't want to mention those things that we do in this setting, because it brings filth. And so, as you make an assessment, as you make a quality, decisive qualification, an assessment, a, a quantified assessment, who am I, what am I doing, what's keeping me? Is it my old lady? Is it economics? Is it pride? And I wasn't going to mention it, but I mention it now. I'll i take it back. Whatever it is holding you down, whatever blemish, you got to come to a point in your life, and I hope and I pray that you come to that place in your life where you look at sin and you look at those things that attract you and they become loathsome to you. They become hateful because you know they're poison. When you come to a place of repudiation, when you see something, for me it was, see, I was, I was attracted to weed. Oh, I was a prisoner of weed. I'm a 60s boy, you can tell by my t-shirt. <laughs> weed, I mean, I share this with you, I, I was already a pastor, man. Never smoked weed, I'm telling you right now, in the name of Jesus, I have not smoked weed since I became a Christian, let alone a pastor. So don't get any ideas. I'm just telling you the way it is, man. When I, when I, when I, past tense, when I used to smell it, I would go to Venice Beach with my wife or my daughters, and we would go to Venice Beach, and they will be talking up, brother. And I will ask my wife, is is that weed? (laughs) She said, of course it is, dummy, it's weed. Are you sure? No, no, no. Oh, Oh, are you sure? It is weed, dummy, it is weed. You know it's weed. Let me see. You can tell, Pastor Chuck, you're right. I already told him, okay? I already told him. This is not a confession. This is an admission. I already confessed. There was one time in my Christian walk, as part of my practical sanctification process, where now it came to a testing time. You know, you don't really find like a hundred dollar bill. You know, it's rare when you find a hundred dollar bill, let alone a twenty dollar bill. It's hard because money comes up. You can look at trash, but you see a dollar and it comes. You can see it vibrant. Same thing with weed. I was just minding my business, and all of a sudden, I saw a big fat joint. Big fat joint. Here it is. I passed it. I Put it in reverse. What is that? <laughs> I know what it is. So I looked around. I went through my rational process. I went through my practicality. I thought of the word of God. I thought of, of my wife. I thought of Chuck. I thought of Roll Reese. Because he was my pastor at the time. And I thought, oh, Lord have mercy. Okay, Lord have mercy. I just made a... I made a U-turn and walked away from it. And I said, oh, Lord Jesus, I cannot believe this. I actually have been given power to say no to that miserable weed. I went back. I went back. I said, well, I can't get it. Nobody's going to get it. (laughs) Evil, man. That's when I realized... My mama didn't tell me, my wife didn't tell me, no pastor told me. That affirmation came from God himself when God said to my conscience, Atta boy, atta boy, atta boy. When your conscience affirms you that you're doing right, it brings health to your body. Equally, that same conscience, if it's not healthy, it will become a big bully to you. It will belittle you, it will destroy you, it will eat you up, it will gnaw at you because you know better. Natural law says no. The Bible says no. Jesus says no. The Holy Spirit says no. Your mama says no. Your wife says no. And you do it anyway. And when you do it, after all those stop signs, you become a transgressor. And a transgressor has more accountability, much more for a leader such as you and I. Too much is given, much is required. There's a refrain, one of John Newton's hymns, I love this. He said, I'm not what I ought to be. I am not what I want to be. I'm not what I hope to be, but thank God I'm not what I used to be. What a liberating refrain. That, that whole song, man, that guy trips me out. I wish I was an English major. Homeboy gets down. That's enough for me. Now uh, let me let me give you some facts. Number one cardinal nature the flesh can never become sanctified let me repeat that again for those who are asleep the cardinal nature the flesh never becomes sanctified truth number two god never builds on on an old fleshly sinful nature he always begins with something new number three The flesh never becomes spiritual. Number four, the flesh in the most saintly person is the same flesh that is in the worst of all sinners. Number five, the flesh cannot be overcome by eradication. I can't say that. Eradicates. Eradication. Eradication. There you go. Eradication cannot overcome the flesh It will always remain in this earthly body until we see Jesus. Number six, the flesh cannot be overcome by suppression, the power of the will and flesh and energy. And number seven, victory and power over the flesh is seen only through identification with the Lord Jesus Christ. That's it. Now, in part two, I will share with you tomorrow, Lord willing, Lord, reading, I like, what is the prerequisite for us? I'll give you a hint. I love this English word. It's called capitulation. For those of you who don't know what capitulation is, it's when you lift up your hands, not in worship, but in what? Surrender. Surrender. Sometimes we think that's kind of ignoble to surrender. Surrender. Like we don't surrender to anyone. We fight until the end. But the paradox of Jesus. When you die, you live. The paradox of Jesus Christ. When you find your life, you will lose it. But when you lose your life, you will find it. The paradox of God. Therefore, in surrendering, you'll see, Lord willing, tomorrow. The surrendering is a noble act when it comes to being a child of God. It's a song that they sing all the time at a Billy Graham crusade and a Franklin crusade. I don't know the name of the song. Uh, Rob, I know you know it. I surrender all all to Jesus. I surrender all. It's a capitulation. And I think that's what we all need. Should you be in that place where you say, you know, Poncho, you're not speaking to me. Right on, right on. But let me speak to other 99.9 people. What is it? What is, what is holding you back? You have to repudiate it. The Bible says through Paul the Apostle, but I have renounced the what? Come on now. I have renounced the what? The hidden things. The hidden. Paul is not speaking to the world. He's speaking to believers. Let us renounce now the hidden things that bring us shame. What is it that brings you shame? Because as long as you live in shame and as long as you live as a second-class Christian because you're trifling and you're dabbling in things that you know are not promoting your welfare as a Christian and they're only bringing you down, bringing you shame, and they're just suffocating you and you're not growing and you come here to this event thinking that somehow magically, if you raise your hand and sing some songs, that you're going to walk away here holy? Um, that's not true. There has to be a place where you on your own, you got to come to the altar, and you say, I surrender everything. All my madness, all my trifles, everything right here. But be honest with God. Otherwise, it's just another retreat. It's just another conference. Every conference I go, I say, Lord, speak to me. He does. And sometimes listening to what's wrong with me is not very nice, doesn't feel very good. I I just feel a, a little sometimes very, very hurt because I have a desire to be perfect. You see, all of us have this ego here. This is you, the ideal you. This is you. Ha 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 ha. This is you. Ha 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 ha. This is a blessed person. This is the one. I have one too. I have an ideal poncho here. This is the one who doesn't lie, who prays all the time, who never gets angry. He's always praying. He's always looking up. He's always excited. This is the ideal poncho. But the real poncho is right here. Now, see, all of us have that. Here's a problem in psychological and emotional and psychiatric hygiene. When your ego is too far out there, and this is a reality, it brings mental health issues because you're never satisfied. You're never content because the ideal you is so far out there that you can never reconcile both of them. You see, we are to shoot for this ideal. You and I will never be like Jesus in this lifetime. But John says that one day, we not only should see him, but we shall be just like him. Not in this lifetime. Not in this lifetime, friends. One of these days, we shall be just like him. In the meantime, we carry these bodies of death with a lower appetite to control them, to govern them in the empowerment of the Holy Spirit as you sanctify yourself. Now go with me and we're close to to 1st Corinthians chapter 1 verse 4. Notice what how he starts. He doesn't bring the accusations yet, he doesn't bring anything. He just basically tells him the position and that's what I want to just end tonight by reminding you your position. Later on, Paul will bring up the issues. I don't want to bring the issues. I want to remind you tonight as I am reminded by the word who I am as a child of God. And the promises he already gave me. That's what I want to convey to you. Paul the Apostle says, first of all, I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given to you by Jesus Christ. Now let me ask you, do you have the grace of God? For by grace we have been saved. If you think somehow that it was your eloquence, or you had a right, or you had credentials, you were so holy that you said, well, God chose me, of course. See, there's a separation. Sin, you and I and Jesus Christ. When we recognize Jesus Christ, there was a bridge there. We know it's Jesus, but that bridge between Jesus and, and humanity, sinful humanity, there's a bridge that God put in there, and he named that bridge grace. And by grace, we enter the relationship with Jesus Christ. Paul tells the Philippians, He who begun a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. Who is going to complete it? God is. How? By the agency and the agent, by the office and the work and the operation of the agent of sanctification, and that is the Holy Spirit. So friends, you understand now what Paul says? Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Do not quench the Holy Spirit. What is he trying to say? Because if you bottleneck the work of the Holy Spirit in your life, the work of practical sanctification will never be completed in you or will not be in process. The way you were last year, is the way you are this year. And guess what? If there is no change, you'll be here again next year and the next year after that with no victory, with no contentment, with no joy, with suppressed anger. You're looking at other people thinking I should be doing that and yet you don't repudiate what is holding you down? You don't acknowledge it. You don't confess it. You don't capitulate to the grace of God. So here he says, number one, they have the grace of God. Secondly, they're enriched in everything. Now think about enrichment. What's enrichment? In everything. If I said, "Men, this will enrich your life. What would you say? Something to add enrichment to your life. I can think of one thing. Good health to enrich my life. Good health. I thought maybe in the past, if Lord, if you can give me hair, that will be enrichment to my life. But see, there's a lot of us here today, I feel a camaraderie and a fraternity. I don't want hair no more. But an enrichment in everything that means a supplementation, an enhancement, an improvement. That God has enriched us with all utterance. What does that mean? All utterance. You see, among the Greek philosophers, especially the Stoic people. They believed that the word logos came to mean the rational principle that gave order to the cosmos. It could therefore be equated with God. Human reason in turn derived from the universal logos, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 8-7. But as you abound in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all diligence, and in all your love for us, see that you abound in this grace also. All knowledge. The Bible speaks often about human knowledge, but the knowledge of God is greater and is the chief duty of mankind to know the knowledge of God. Solomon says in Proverbs nine ten, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and all knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. The chief duty of mankind, according to the prophet Hosea, chapter 6, verse 6, says, for I desire mercy and not sacrifice, and the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. And then he says here in verse 7, you come short in no gift. What does that mean, you come short in no gift? you got to reverse some of these things. This is English language, man. This, English language is hard and it's weird. You come short in no gift. Basically means there's over an abundance of gifts. What kind of gifts? Supernatural gifts. And the Bible says here that God has given you an overabundance of spiritual gifts. And due to all this that you have, you are now eagerly waiting for the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ. Sometimes we believe that waiting in the Lord is a passive, non-action movement. Quite the contrary. While we're waiting for the Lord, we must work. While we're waiting for the Lord, we must proclaim. While we're waiting for the Lord, we must explain. While we're waiting for the Lord, we move, we grow. Anything that grows, anything that moves, must eat. Anything that eats, must grow. Anything that grows, must be nourished and protected. We're growing in the Lord. I I know that I'm getting old. No one has to tell me that. But Paul reminds me that my outer man is perishing, but my inward man is growing day by day. Oh, what a relief that is. When I look myself in the mirror and I look, I say, oh, Lord Jesus, have mercy. (laughs) But inside of me, there's still a desire to continue. There's no such thing for me in my life as retirement. There's no such thing. I don't have the energy, but yet I'm able to still move and go, whatever. And as long as I'm able to have agility and I have the physical means that I'm not handicapped, that I can still become ambulatory, meaning I can walk with my legs, I'm going to continue going to wherever God leads me, because that's the calling God has given me. And I don't want any impediments, I don't want nothing stopping me, especially myself, I don't want that. I'm very transparent with my congregation, very transparent. I tell them the way it is. It's, that's not your cup of tea that's just mine there's safety there's times when I had an argument with my wife on Sunday morning right before I come to church I just had an argument for no reason It's the enemy we know that the enemy always comes messes with us on Wednesdays and then Saturday nights we know his scheme but we didn't pick it up that day we were full of passion and we argue and we say, you know what your mama your mama alright alright so that was it it was just a slant in character. It was nothing. And I got, I, I got, I got, I was teaching on Sunday morning first service and had the pastor smile. God bless you. How you doing? Good. Op- open your Bibles. Oh, okay. And then all of a sudden, man, I, uh, and I just stopped. And I told the congregation, you know what? I need to apologize to my wife publicly. You know, I didn't want to sound like I want to look good, you know, in front of people. Yeah, let me be holy. Let me. No, no, no. I couldn't teach anymore. I couldn't do it anymore. I felt that I needed to have forgiven. I needed God to forgive me of my stupidity. And once I confessed it, it was like the flow. It was like a king hose. You ever had, you're ever you watering and all of a sudden you have a 100-foot hose and you're, you're watering and all of a sudden you go, Oh, man, what happened? And then you realize there's a king way out there. Right? <laughs> You're trying to be like Zorro, (laughs) and nothing works. So what do you do? Here's what I do. I, I, I put a V, I choked it, and I walk all the way. I unkink it so I can have flow again. That's exactly what happened that day. You see, there was a kink in my spirit, in my soul. And the only way that I can unkink it would be to confess my sin so Satan would not have a field day and paralyze me and inhibit the word of God from going forth. It needed to be a clean vessel. For the people, they were saying, oh, Pontius is crazy. That's it. That's all. For them, oh, Pontius is crazy. But for me, it was very important for me that I, I came to a point where I needed to ask God for forgiveness. And then he said that we're eagerly waiting and that Christ will confirm you to the end. What is the word confirmation? Now, if you know Spanish, that's two Latin words. It means confirme, with, firmness. It means a force of stability and assurance to establish an agreement to show that a word is true and reliable and Christ will confirm you to the end and then blameless in the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. What a wonderful sensation that will be. That you and I will be free from deserving blame. That you and I are going to be guiltless. And what is the assurance? The next verse. God is faithful. My friends, God is always faithful. We are the ones that are faithless. And I pray that somehow... That God will speak to you as you go in your room, as you go in a little walk. That you will confront God and say, Lord, what's it all about? And that God will speak to you. And that you, in fellowship with God, and making an assessment, an inventory, an appraisal of who you really are in the Lord. That you can come to a place in your life and you say, you know what? There's really nothing. and There isn't anything. Praise the Lord. Praise God. But if there is something there, we got to surrender. How do we do that? Lord willing, we have an answer from my study tomorrow. Father, in the name of Jesus, praise you. Thank you. Thank you for your love and your goodness and your mercy. Thank you for the salvation, the sanctification. Thank you for the assurance that we have in you. Father, I ask you as a sinner... That you, Father, will continue to protect me, strengthen me. That you, Father, will put a hedge of protection upon each and every man who's here. May you protect their children, their marriages. And we pray, Father, that the enemy will not have a field day in any of our weaknesses. We ask you in the name of Jesus that you will continue to do your work this week that we in in no way or fashion can we put an obstacle from keeping your word reaching the very core of our hearts to move us, to change us, to have a directional shift, that this day will be a special day, that our hearts will be right with you in this critical juncture of this period, in this time of world history. May you be with us, Father, as we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to Get Fed Today. Today's sermon comes from Pastor Pancho Juarez. If you enjoy the message, you can access more of Pastor Pancho's teaching ministry by visiting thearcmontebello.com.